Romans chapter 12, as we transition from junior church to big person church. Welcome to big person church. What a beautiful, beautiful day that God in his grace, we don't deserve, has just given to us this gift to worship. Let me remind you as well that Next Sunday at 9 o'clock, if you come in here and sit here, you'll be all by yourself, okay? Because we're going to be meeting outside next Sunday. Is that, is that north? Is that the north lawn? South? I know that's in the back lawn back there. After our worship service, we will go to the river to enjoy a baptism um, We look forward to celebrating what God is doing in the lives of his church here. And we have have a little tiny part. A little tiny part of being faithful to the calling that God has given to each one of us. Romans chapter 12. We are concluding this chapter today as we focus on the final two verses. And I understand that we gather to rejoice, we gather to celebrate, we gather to sing, we gather to focus, just as we sang a moment ago, Jesus, only Jesus. And as we do that, and that is our goal this morning, and we want to be encouraged by that, we know that the Holy Spirit equips us and empowers us to do and to be everything that he has called us to be. We still are aware, and I don't want us to have our heads in the sand, we still are aware of the heartache and hurt that does exist around us. That there is evil in this world, and and what are we to do with it? And and so I, I hope you understand, I'm not trying to be negative here, but we do need to acknowledge the reality of the world around us, and thus our response in that. Um. I have worn now for almost 10 years um, a bracelet on my left wrist that has the name of my cousin who was a Green Beret who was killed in Afghanistan by Taliban. And he, he is one of many, many people in our country that have offered their lives for the freedoms that we enjoy, the common graces that surround us. And we're reminded in that, that that there is evil that exists. But ultimately we know that we can, we can maneuver, we can make our way through life because of the one, because of the one who sacrificed his life for us. Not just for the freedom to enjoy right here and right now, but for the freedom and forgiveness for all time. And that is the life and the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ that we celebrate. And so as we um, pause this weekend to memorialize and, and remember those who have given their lives, may we also remember Jesus, only Jesus, who gave his life for us. Would you bow your heads and pray with me as we commence this time in his word together? Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for every person that is here. We thank you, Lord, for whatever circumstance in your sovereign will you have brought together this body 
of people gathered. Some people may be here um, excited. Others may be here reluctantly. Others may not even want to be here, but we're, we're brought. For whatever the circumstance, we come before you and we thank you that you are alive and well, that you speak to us, that you are living amongst us and within us. We thank you that you have given to us your word that with careful study and through the preaching of your word, we can hear a word from you this morning. Lord, I need and I ask that you would speak to my heart alongside of everyone as you reveal yourself to us through your word. Help us to get a glimpse of the hope that exists through Jesus, even in a chaotic and frankly collapsing world. Father, I, I pray for those that are especially going through a difficult season right now, just seasons of fear, seasons of sickness and, and, and anxiety and, and worry. And, and even, Lord, some I know that there's a, a sense of darkness or depression that is pressing down on them. And I pray, Lord, that only you would be heard and seen. We pray as well as a church as we focus this week on those struggling in addictions that we would go to the throne of grace and plead on their behalf to be free to follow you holy. Father, we do thank you for the country that we live in and the sacrifice of those who have given their lives for our freedom and we are so grateful for that but Lord, we are most grateful for the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. May we get a glimpse of his atoning work anew today, afresh today. Please help me guide my words, my mouth, my lips. May everything that is said and done be for your glory and your glory alone. We ask this in the amazing and matchless and wonderful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. I want to read to you in, our, in its entirety our text. We addressed a couple of the verses last week and we'll conclude um, by a couple of verses this morning. Romans chapter 12, I'll begin with verse 17 and read down through the end of the chapter, verse 21. It says this, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is, it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now our focus this morning will be <clears throat> to the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. And we will leave with this thought do not, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. Now we know that it is hard. And I would say that it is even getting harder. Words cannot, and words, however you arrange them in the English language, cannot 
adequately describe the evil that exists. If you recall just last Sunday, actually, what referenced a mass shooting that had taken place in New York, in Buffalo, just, just what? Motivated by, by racial hatred. And yet, for some reason, even this past week, that's, that's not number one in our minds. Why? Because even since we have gathered, just since last week, we have seen before us what? Even more anger. We've heard about even more hate and evil when one lone shooter barricaded himself into a classroom. And viciously. Murdered 19 fourth graders and their two teachers. 21 souls. Many understandably in the response this week is that we are, we are, we are sickened, we are, we are saddened, and we are furious over such savagery. And I know, I know, I know that it may seem like going back, going back now to ancient scriptures may seem like, oh, we're just going backward. But, but please, please, and I plead with you to understand when the author writes the words for us this morning on the existence of evil and how and, and thus what our response is to be towards it. Let me tell you this. He knows what he's talking about, okay? He, he knows clearly what he's talking about. The Apostle Paul is the author. Think about our, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ, the early church. They were all well acquainted with the atrocities of, and we looked at the word last week, pure evil. They're, they're familiar with that. Persecution in their day was rampant. Public, bloody executions and crucifixions were commonplace. People would actually gather and forswear. And for entertainment, they would watch other people be fed to starving lions. They, they would bury people up to, their, up to their head in the sand and watch them expire over time. Men and women were bought and sold as property. As slaves, unwanted and sick or disabled babies were oftentimes just thrown over the walls into burning trash heaps. And I'm, I'm not trying to sensationalize or take away anything from the pain or the hurt or the evil that exists in our world today. I, I'm just trying to remind you that this is not new. Okay, what we're facing, this is not new. This is not without a word from God. On what we are to do as a result of it. About six to seven years before Paul wrote these words that we just read to the church at Rome. He also wrote to a group of Christians in another city. Thessalonica. And he says this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. Finally brothers pray for us. This is our response. Pray for us that the word of the Lord. That's the gospel. May what? Speed ahead. Which means what? May go forward with unhindered progress. And be honored that people would acknowledge the truth and embrace God's offer of salvation. So that, and here it is. That we may be delivered 
from wicked and evil men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. He will establish you. He will guard you against the evil one. Listen to these words. And we may have confidence in the Lord about you. That you are doing and you will do the things that we command. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. That's the focus that we need to have this morning. May the Lord establish and direct. Because we admit, I admit, I do not, we cannot do this apart from his help. How we need Something, how we need someone that is bigger than us at this moment, this day, to hold on to. And thankfully, thankfully, praise God, we've been given what? The word and wisdom about that one. That one that we are to know. To know what to do as we trust We know the book of Romans as a whole has been expanding from what? It's theological and doctrinal to what? Now how this impacts the world. Not just within the cuteness or the confines of the local church, but now as we expand our impact into the culture that God has called us to live. It's an ever-expanding, ever-expanding influence. I think what happens is that we can short change. We can short sell the power of the transforming gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But let me remind you, it's only the gospel that makes sense of the craziness that exists. It's only the gospel that is the only antidote to the destructiveness that is around us. But so many people are so hesitant. And we kind of what? We kind of... We walk the edges, the fringes of the gospel, afraid to speak up, afraid to offend, and thus be labeled as one of them. You're just one of them, aren't you? We know that God calls us to offer wisdom. The world is pleading for wisdom. That's our job. It's not just a moment of silence. No, no, it has to be more than that. We're offering wisdom, we're showing grace, we're extending forgiveness, we're proving our love. Last week we looked at the fact that evil is real, wisdom is required, and a gospel response is needed. And now we build upon that, there is no room, there is no place for us ever. Vengeance is never ours. Actually, to the contrary, it says what? If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. By so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, it's no secret that part, part of the good part of the, the gospel, of the good news, is the forgiveness of sin and specifically freedom from the wrath of God. That the part of the good part of the good news is the fact that we are free from the wrath of God, which we actually deserve. We learn this in Romans chapter 5. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Thankfully, what has happened, Jesus willingly took that wrath upon himself. He suffered on our behalf. He suffered so that we don't have to. 
We have to remember this. His wrath still exists. Let, let, me, let me remind you. His wrath still exists. His wrath is still to be expected upon those who reject. Now that is in part, in part, which should motivate us toward good gospel work. It's, it's a love, it's a care, and it's a concern for other people who have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. But I want you to note something. There is tension here. There's just tension, and we feel it tightening in our chest because there is something inside of us that says what? If you, that person over there, if you refuse, if you reject, if you mock, if you make fun of, if you try to harm the name of Jesus, or what? Or especially if you seek to hurt someone else, an innocent child, if you choose to do that, there's something inside of us that says what? You deserve wrath. There's something inside of us that says you deserve a slow, painful, agonizing, humiliating death. And then after that, I want eternal torment upon you. There's something inside of us that wants that when we hear about the evil and the atrocities that exist. Here's, here's my response formally this morning. No. No. No, that is not the way that we are to respond to evil. Let me, let me repeat it. That is not the way. As hard as it is, and there's something burning inside of us, that is not the way the church of Jesus Christ responds to the evil that exists around us. We are never to desire the wrath of God, or we're never to desire other people to suffer regardless of what? Their lifestyle. We're never to, to long for them to feel the pain of God regardless of their life's decisions. Regardless of their background, regardless of their backstory, regardless of the hurt that they may have caused, regardless of what the words, the proverbial rocks that they have hurled, regardless of their attacks, regardless of their criticisms, regardless of their antagonism, regardless of the fact that they may stand in stark contrast to everything that you see and believe, even if they are our arch enemy, we are still to offer them. We are still to show them love. Remember how I said like there's great tension here? Let me, let me ramp it up. There's actually even greater tension here. Because it continues to build. And some people sitting here this morning hear what I just said. And said, sorry, I don't like it. I, yeah, I know the word of God says that. I don't like it. And I'm not going there. I'm not going to believe that. I'm not going to do that. Evil. Evilness. Equals what? You better burn. 
So at some level, we hear, yeah, well, the word of God, let me, let me just say, you can't pick and choose what is in this book. You can't say, oh, I'll take, yeah, I like that part, but yeah, no, you cannot do that. That, that reaction when somebody says, yeah, I just don't like that part, I'm sorry, but we're going we're gonna to just string them upside down. No, no, that reaction is sin. And let me, let, me, let me implore you that you need to ask for forgiveness. That at times I have had to ask forgiveness because in the depths of my heart, you hurt that person, I want you hurt. And I want you hurt a lot bad, a lot worse. We need to ask for forgiveness. And I'm not saying that evil does not exist. I'm not saying that what? That people are not going to suffer for wrongdoing. What I am saying is what? It's not you or I who ever are to direct or enact vengeance in any way. That is not our job. That is not our responsibility. Why? Because we have to remember this. Every single unbeliever, everyone who has rejected and refused to hear and acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ, every unbeliever is facing the speed of passing time. The clock never stops. Death will what? Physical death here on this earth will end every single opportunity for them to repent. And the moment is coming, and we know that. We know what Scripture says. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, The Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance upon those who do not know God and upon those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know that's what's happening. That We know that's what's going to come. Which means truly seeking to understand the justice of God, the wrath of God, reminds us that there is no place, there is no need for you or me to offer this tiny, puny vengeance in response or directed toward the evil that surrounds us. Rather, what are we called to do? Jesus, only Jesus. You, you just sang those words, and you sang them beautifully, my dad. We, we are to trust God completely. He is just. He is fair. He is impartial, which means practically believing this leaves all of it in the hands of God. And thus what happens? What does that do? It frees us from living in the torment of something must happen. I must do something. I'm going to strap it on and I'm just going to go after them. Thankfully, we're told in Scripture what we ought to do, what we should be doing toward those who hurt us, towards those who hate you and who hate the Lord that we worship. Number one, we respond in love even when it's hard to do. And it is hard to do. If your enemy is hungry, I want you to feed him. If he's Thirsty, I want you to give them something to drink. I think this is designed intentionally to work both literally and figuratively, literally when food or drink are needed. But I, I think it expands beyond that. Really, when our enemy is in need of anything at some level. 
Barnhouse, Don Gray Barnhouse says, the principle by which a Christian is to live is that of overflowing love, which ultimately, which will ultimately be overcoming love. And, and there's something to that, that we live with an overflowing love that we leave it in the Lord's hands. And as we pray for them, and that's what Jesus teaches in Matthew chapter 5, it becomes an overcoming love. And it's obvious it goes just beyond the subject of hunger and thirst. But if we just pause on that for a moment, it is, it is a picture of something. For some reason, there are many analogies of hungering and thirsting throughout the pages of Scripture. And it seems to be language that we get. We, we, we understand those feelings this, this language of, of hunger, someone's hungry, someone's thirsty, relates to us. It actually connects with us. H how much emphasis, just pause for a moment, do you and I place on our stomachs? H how much time and focus, as we kind of maneuver our way through the week, do we focus on our appetites, our meals, and our Food. And you begin, to, you begin to get this idea, the, uh, the fact that there's a lot that goes on inside of a person, inside of us, when we are truly hungry. It's of little wonder that we use terms in our language that help us describe this. They're called idioms, English idioms. And we all, we all have said this. I'm, I'm what? I, I, I think I said it yesterday. I'm as hungry as a bear. And we use these terms. I'm, I'm so hungry, I could eat a horse. Really? Or this one. I'm starving to death. Um, when our, one of our kids, I, I think it was Seth, when he was little, you know, growing boy, seven, eight, nine, around there. God, I can't sleep. I'm starving to death. I'm like, okay, if you're really truly starving to death, I took a big, huge potato, like a raw potato, and I threw it in his bed. I'm like, hey, have at it. You're starving to death. This ought to do. I'm, I'm famished. Or, or to the adverse, we describe what? Something that we do not like. This what? This, this turns my stomach. We use these idioms all the time. What? That makes me sick. And again, it's this attention that we give. We, we have a, a little bit of an infatuation, over-infatuation with ourselves. Our stomach, our food. Why? Because it represents within us a basic need. Thus the reason that we would immediately connect an enemy who hates us does not get the basic need. The enemy does not deserve, and he will not get anything from me, especially food. Why? Because food sustains life. You're not going to get that. Look at what you did. But no, according to what we see in Scripture, we're to go look for. You're, you, you are to go get, you're to purchase, you're to provide for, you're to offer, you're to reach into your pockets, to extend, to give something, what? That God, in his grace, has been given to you so that you can reveal his grace to others by giving it to 
them. It's really an opportunity for us to show love. This is exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ taught in Matthew chapter 5 on the Sermon on the Mount. You've heard it said, love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus expands upon that and says, no, 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 no. But I say to you, you love your enemies. And you pray for those who persecute you. Our first response here, because it's swirling, like, what do we do? We respond first and foremost in love. Secondly, number two, we respond in faith, even when it's hard to understand. We're going to trust here. By so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. I've had many conversations this week just on that very phrase. Like, what exactly is that? This is actually a direct quote from Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 and 22. I'm not going to reread it for you because it's the exact quote. They, they add uh, bread instead of food. Give them bread. But it's exactly the same quote. Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, quotes, it wrote this. And it's being quoted here. It's an interesting term, heaping coals... Burning coals on one's head. It's an interesting term that is really not something that we use very regularly today. We may have heard of it, but we don't really use this term quite frequently. And so there is some question and there's some debate as to what, what is its precise meaning. Give theologians an opportunity to argue about something and they will do that. And so there's a couple different meanings here as far as, well, what does it mean to heap coals? Because we're just going to offer the food, offer the water. A, many think that by doing good to them, by offering food, by offering water, they, they will feel so ashamed by your kindness that, that they will repent. In a sense, one's warmth towards them, one's kindness would, would melt their hearts into submission. So it's burning coals, that, it's kindness that, that melts and stirs their hearts into submission. And it's quite possible that that is what it means. Whereas others, B, would suggest in keeping with every single other reference to burning coals in the entire Old Testament, coals of fire has to do with judgment. It actually represents punishment. I know that's like, whoa, that doesn't really sell. No, this is what? This is leaving vengeance to God. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 13. Psalm chapter 11, verse 6. Psalm chapter 18. Psalm chapter 140. Every single one of these references are actually how David uses a description of how the Lord dealt with his enemies in many ways. And he had some enemies. And it's not really a pretty scene. Psalm, Psalm 18 says what? Smoke went up from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. Out of the brightness before him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens and the Most High uttered his voice. Hailstones and coals of fire. And he sent out his arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightning and he routed them. This is, this is not like, I hope this warms their heart into kindness. This is what, this is the vengeance of God on display. This is wrath. This speaks of judgment. 
A third view, others would simply claim, see, by this act of love and kindness, you are just simply and literally wishing good upon them. Just leave it there. Coals, like fire, what? Can burn and destroy, but what? Fire also can bring warmth and can bring light and can bring safety. And coals were oftentimes carried, what? And they were brought to someone's home. Like, what's for dinner? I brought the stove. Here you go. So it's simply an act of kindness. So at, at some level, we, we basically put it into two categories. It's either coals of blessing or coals of cursing. And I say all of that to say it doesn't really matter what this means. Because that's not the part that you have to worry about. That's what God is doing. What does matter is our response, regardless of completely understanding or even agreeing with. Even agreeing with. Our instruction is just to do it. Just offer the food to the hungry and water to the thirsty. A wonderful example of this is found in the life of David again. When he was given opportunity to kill, what, the ever-menacing King Saul. If we remember a little bit of the story, I won't go too much into it. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 24. And David has been on the run. Saul, the king, is trying to kill him. And they're in an area in Israel called En Gedi. And they're outside what is referred to as the, the wild coats, the wild Goats, not the wild coats. The wild goats cave. And, and it, says, it says that Saul goes into the cave to relieve himself. I'm not exactly sure what that means. I think I kind of know what it means. And then, and then he's just having a nap. He's just resting. Seems like an odd place to have a nap, but that's fine. And further back in the cave, it's a big cave, further back in there are David and his men. Think about that. And, and his men say, David, this is, this is it. This is the opportunity. He's right out there. Run him through and finish it. But what, what, does, what does David do to his, to his ever-menacing archenemy, Saul? He, he, he sneaks up and he cuts off just a little corner of his robe. And then leaves. And, and it's, it's after that that Saul realizes what grace has been extended. David, David could have killed me and what kindness was shown. What is David saying? Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord because he is the Lord's anointed. Every single person, regardless of the atrocities and the evil that they are responsible for, is created in the image of God. And it's not your responsibility nor mine to enact vengeance. Now, now it's just seems to me, kind of practically speaking, if we look at the life of David, I'm not quite sure how this translates immediately into our lives. But I think the principle applies. You, you could say, okay, well, the next time, here it is, the next time that you are in a cave, just hanging, 
Because you've been chased around literally for months upon months by someone who wants to kill you. Here's the application of Scripture. As you walk up to the sleeping enemy, rather than what just running him through with your sword, what, what, what your instruction is to do is what? Show kindness. But, but, but do it quietly so as not to wake him just in case. Right? At some level, we begin to see that the principle applies. The exact is not. To be honest, the exact scenario may not work out for you. The exact scenario of David and Saul is probably not going to happen. But there are people, I tell you what, there is no lack of it, that are saying nasty and horrid and bitter things to you online or to others online or against the Lord online. We, you and I, are to respond in grace. Because it's since that, that scenario seems to be playing out a whole lot a whole lot more than you hang around in some caves with the guy who wants to kill you. When, when you know that, that, that someone has been mocking or making fun of, you can actually respond in kindness to them and in love to them. When someone is attacking or hurting, you can, you can put them on the very top of your prayer list and you can faithfully commit to pray for them. And we live in a world where there is no lack of anger or evil or hatred or hostility. It is very easy for us to get overwhelmed or even feel defeated by this. Thus the reason, the final word and admonition of this entire monumental chapter, Romans chapter 12. Number three, and finally, we respond in hope. Knowing that Jesus is victorious over all evil. Do not be overcome. Some translations use the word, don't be, don't be conquered by evil, but overcome or, or actually conquer evil with good. This means the way to victory, the way to overcome the enemy is not through vengeance and more vitriol, but instead, what, by goodness and by grace. Think of Christ on the cross, think of Christ on the cross. That is to be. He is to be our motivation. Sometimes I think it is absolute necessary for us to step back and ask the question to see why, why is it? Why is it that Jesus came to die on the cross? When we know the narrative, we're familiar with the story, we can recount the manger and the cross and the tomb. And we can talk about the life of Jesus. His incarnation, the ministry, the miracles, the details. The broken body, the shed blood. But why? Like why did Jesus have to come to die? And it's in moments like this, it's in days like this, it's in weeks like this. That we are reminded because evil exists. Because brokenness is everywhere. Because the fall of mankind since Genesis chapter 3 is real. And it is evident and it is proven daily over and over and over again. And you can have all the rhetoric. You can pass all the laws that you want to do. And the bottom line is 
you and I can do nothing about the evil that exists in this world other than leave it into the hands of the ultimate judge. We respond in love, we respond in faith, and we respond in hope. Remember, Jesus came to die because the reality of evil, you can't do anything. Your death or my death on the cross would have been meaningless. It would not have offered what we needed to offer. He was the what? Sinless, perfect sacrifice. The one who has never committed sin. Why did Jesus come to die? Because God saw you and loved you in the midst of the evil that surrounds us. He had to come or there would be no hope. There would be no hope whatsoever. Hebrews chapter 2 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. He came down. He left the glories and the splendor and the awe and the wonder of heaven to come down to wrap himself in this? That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all things who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He came to free us. Jesus came to die to free us from the evil that is in the world. And praise God, he didn't stay dead, but three days later he rose. And we know that today, thanks be to God, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, only Jesus, is what our response is. The last words that Buddha ever spoke, recorded, or try to accomplish your aim with diligence. That's what people are trying to do today. Just try to accomplish your aim with diligence. Jesus' last words, if I may remind you, were what? It is finished. He did what our efforts could never do. Trust him. Respond in love. Respond in faith. And rest in the hope that is offered through Jesus only. Jesus. Father, we love you and we know that you've called us to live in a world of chaos and brokenness, but we thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough to send your own son. As hard as it is to muster up within us love for our enemy, we know that with the presence of your spirit, you can give us the strength that is needed to pray for those who are causing such evil. Father, but we admit we can't do it. I can't do it. We need you. May we have a renewed hope that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And may you give to us a renewed hope and faith as we demonstrate your love to those around us. We ask this in the amazing and matchless and powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen.